The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Thank you so much for joining us today at Summit Church. I know for many, this is the beginning of spring break weekend, so I'm not sure where you might be tuning in or watching this from, but I just know that this message is one that we need to hear because when we get to the end of it, we are talking about the central tenet of our Christian faith. We're talking about the resurrection. We'll get there in a moment, but wherever you are, whatever you're doing, I'm just glad you're here. If there's any way we can be praying for you, we would love to do that. If you go to summitonline.tv forward slash prayer, you can drop a prayer request there that people will be praying for you, for those that you want to be lifting up. We believe that prayer unlocks the power of God. And even when we may not be in the same room together, we are in this together and we would love to be praying for you. If you were able to join us last week, you saw that Jesus was confronted by a group of religious leaders and they had one huge problem. He's healing people, he's teaching, he's preaching, he is gathering a huge following right now. So they come up to him and they go, hey, here's our issue with you. We can't trust you. We don't know by whose power you're doing this. And in fact, we think that you might be doing this by the power of Satan. You you might be healing people by Satan's power, and we need you to give us a sign. We need you to show us definitively that you are from God, that you are who you say you are, so that we can trust your teaching. And Jesus masterfully, masterfully handles their first accusation that you're doing this, what all of your power is coming from Satan. He goes, why would Satan cast out Satan? That doesn't make any sense. It, what, your whole logic's flawed there. But there was a second piece, and we need to pick that up this week as Jesus continues his conversation. But I, I'm going to let you know right now, there's two verses in the middle that are kind of some unleft work. And because as a church, we commit to walking verse by verse through scripture, there's a couple verses here that we need to pick back up before we jump into that debate today. And those verses are found in Luke chapter 11, verse 27 and verse 28. We'll start with verse 27. It says this, as Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd just called out, so, so picture it, okay? Put yourself there. Jesus is defending himself. They've just said, you cast out demons by the power of demons. He's defending himself, but this woman just shouts out. She says, blessed is the mother who gave birth to you and the one who nursed you. She's amazing. Now, I don't want to go into any kind of gender roles here, but I want you to hear this woman in the crowd who wants to give a shout out to Jesus. She feels like he's under attack. And she wants to give him credit. She goes, you know what? You're amazing. But your mom, whoever birthed you, she should feel very special also. And I just wonder how Jesus received that. He hears this woman shout out in the midst of a debate, blessed is the mom who birthed you and nursed you. She's incredible. Her womb is special. that, That woman should be praised. And Jesus is thinking, my mom is awesome. And Throughout history, Mary, his mother, will be praised. But I have to think in his mind, he's going, it's, it's really my father, my heavenly father who's, who's special. And so he responds. 
He responds to this woman's shout of praise. I really do think it was praise. He responds in verse 28. He replied, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. A short response, because he's in the midst of another debate. But it reminds me, it reminds me of what Jesus said about a year and a half prior to this. His family had come to take him back home. You are ruining our name. You are a shame to us because of what you're doing. Come home. And when he was told, your parents are here, your, your family's here to take you home, Jesus goes, no, 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 Who, who's my family? Who are my brothers and my sisters? And, and he says, no, the, the ones who do the will of God. That's my brother. That's my sister. And what he's saying is those who hear the word of God and obey it, those who hear it, understand it, and apply it, allow it to transform them. That's my family. And then I, I feel like he almost goes a step further to say, you think my mother should be blessed, and, and she should. But you want to know who the greatest in my family is? Let, let me tell you, let me tell you right now who the number one person in my family is. It's the one who hears the word of God and obeys it. And reminds me of what he says in Matthew 11, verse 11. He's talking about John the Baptist, but he says this. Truly I tell you, among those born of a woman, there is not one risen, anyone greater. There's not one risen, anyone greater than John the Baptist. He's the greatest that's ever walked the earth. Yet, whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. You want to know the best person in my family? The person who's the least in the kingdom of heaven. And how do we enter into the kingdom of heaven? We hear the word of God, we obey it, we apply it to our life, and we allow it to transform us. Two verses, almost just a one-off, but we have to cover them because Jesus is being so clear here to this woman. Your praise is appropriate, but the greatest person in my family is the least in the kingdom of God. And then he goes on, he goes on, and he goes, okay, okay, to the religious leaders, you, you've just called out my power, so I've, I've kind of thwarted that, but now you want a sign, you want a sign. Let's recap from last week, Luke eleven fourteen through 16. They, they came at him with two things, 14 through 16. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke. So this is a huge miracle. Not only was there an exorcism, but someone who couldn't speak before now is able to do so. The man who was mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed. Verse 15. But some of them said, by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. You're doing this. You're doing this by the power of Satan. We covered that last week. Verse 16. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. It's hard for some of us to understand this, the, the need for a sign. But these religious leaders who are fighting with Jesus, they are bent. They are bent on unbelief. And it will take a ton, a ton of convincing for them to change their minds. But a sign, a great sign might just do that. Before we judge them completely, Jesus himself knows that his miracles, his signs, are what will allow those who are struggling to believe. And John, the gospel writer, states that it's actually Jesus' miracles. It's his power, his power that provides the proof in the pudding, if you will. That everything he's saying is true. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. 
Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these that are written, what John took the time to write down, they are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. That is the most important truth and the most important faith that you can have, that he is the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And up to this point in Jesus' life, we're getting dangerously close to the end. He has performed many, many miraculous things. He's just caused a mute man who's demon-possessed to be able to speak and cast out that demon. He's done so much. But these religious leaders, they want more. We want a greater sign. We want something else. And so Jesus, a little perturbed, he fires back. Luke chapter 11, verse 29 as the crowds increased, because they just witnessed a miracle, and there were some who wanted to follow Jesus and others who wanted to question him, but there was something going on, so the crowd grew. As the crowd increased, Jesus said, this is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign. That's what you want, but none will be given. None will be given except the sign of Jonah. That's the only sign you're going to get. Jesus is tired of the blasphemy of these religious leaders claiming that his power comes from Satan. That's just foolishness. So he fires back. He calls the religious elite a wicked generation. Now, for some of us, we're like, that's not a very good zinger. But if you understand the culture, this is huge. What Jesus is saying, that title, wicked generation, is given only to pagan communities, not the lofted Jewish community, for sure not the religious elite. So he calls them a pagan community. In the Old Testament, that wicked generation title was only prescribed to those who were idolaters and adulterers. But the adultery is not what we think. It's spiritual adultery. It's cheating on God. And so when Jesus says to the religious leaders, you're a wicked generation, he's saying you are idolatrous and you're cheating on God. Because God is right in front of them. And they're doing everything within their power to discredit him. His condemnation of them is very, very clear. But he's not done yet. He would want them to know that even though they're probably not as offended by his comment as they maybe should be because they simply have no respect from him, you want a sign? You, you want something to happen now? I'll give you the sign of Jonah. And for many of us, we read that and go, what is that? What is that sign? Okay, well, it's specifically two things, but primarily one thing. And I'll explain. The sign of Jonah is that Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of a large fish or a whale. Okay, So when he refers to the sign of Jonah, that's what he's referring to. It is an allusion to his own time, Jesus' own time, in a tomb, three days, three nights, in a tomb, preceding his resurrection. That's the sign you'll be given. My resurrection will be your sign. I'm not going to give you a sign today. I'll give you a sign in about six months. It'll be a huge sign, one that no one else can replicate. But I'm going to give you the sign of Jonah, and that's it. However, there is this underlying current that when Jonah went to Nineveh, when he began to preach, he said, if you do not repent, if you don't turn back to God, Within 40 days, your community, your nation will be destroyed. 
And so there's a second sign here. And now we don't see this in the Bible, but in roughly 70 AD, the city of Jerusalem, the temple there is sacked. And, And it's literally Jesus pointing to both of these signs going, hey, if you don't change your heart, if you don't change your mind, if you don't turn to me, you're going to lose it all. You feel so confident and you feel so comfortable in your religious status, but it garners you nothing. So I'm not going to give you a sign today. My sign will come after my death, and you can choose then whether or not you will believe, but he goes on. He goes on to goad, and he uses Jewish culture and understanding, where if this, what's less, would do something or cause something, then something much greater would be far better, okay? It's the less to greater argument. We use it too. It's no different. And he says this, hey, when Jonah went and preached to the Assyrians in Nineveh, you know what? Jonah went reluctantly. He went there in the belly of a whale, but yet they still repented. Luke chapter 11, verse 30. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will, will the Son of Man be to this generation. I'll be your sign. I'll be there in the end to show you what's going on. Jonah preached reluctantly for 40 days to a community who despised him, yet eventually they repented. Jesus is now sitting here in a community that he loves, that he wants to be a part of, that he didn't have to travel in the belly of a whale to be in front of them. And yet the Ninevites repented and the religious elite choose not to. Now, to be fair to the Ninevites, they did have a cool story. Matthew is the one who adds in Matthew 12, verse 40. For Jonah was there three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be there three nights, three days, three nights, in the heart of the earth. If someone shows up on your shore, having arrived in the belly of a whale, you may want to listen to them. If someone spends three days and three nights in a tomb and then walks out, you may want to listen to them. And when Jesus says, I will give you the sign of Jonah, that's what you'll get. But if you choose to deny my sign, my resurrection, then I will be there in the end to judge your unbelief. I I will be the sign that that you forsake. I'll be that sign. Now, Jesus throws in a middle option here. He says, there was a queen who sought out earthly wisdom. Luke chapter 11, verse 31. He said, the queen of the south will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now something greater than Solomon is right here. Jesus is referring to the queen of Sheba. You can read the story in 1 Kings chapter 10. She traveled roughly 1,500 miles from southwest Arabia to Jerusalem just to ask King Solomon a few questions. Why? Because she'd heard of his immense earthly wisdom. She, a pagan leader from a pagan nation, desired the truth of Solomon and earthly wisdom 
And these religious leaders are now standing in front of someone far greater than Solomon saying, we don't believe you, we don't trust you. And he's saying to them, the queen of Sheba, this pagan goddess, will condemn you because she believed. She sought out truth and you will not do it. You are rejecting someone far greater than Solomon. And then he goes back. He's like, oh, oh, I've got another thought. I've got another thought about the people of Nineveh. Luke 11, verse 32. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. Condemn this wicked generation. He's speaking to the religious leaders. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something far greater than Jonah is here. He's saying to the religious leaders, you thought their idolatry the men of Nineveh, you thought it was bad? Well, gentlemen, they repented. They turned to God with one-tenth of the persuasion, one-tenth of the proof that you have standing right in front of you right now. They turned. So you think their hearts are, were hardened, were wicked? Look at yourself. They will stand and they will judge your great rejection. And that finishes our passage, a difficult passage. Because if you read ahead, you were like, I don't get this. Uh, the sign of Jonah, Nineveh, the queen of the south, who is this? And I mean, you've got to do a lot of work to unpack this and unravel this onion. You have to do the work. But at its core, here's what this passage is teaching us. The religious leaders are wrong. They're wrong in their desire to demand a greater sign. Because Jesus will provide exactly what we need for us to believe. And before we judge the religious leaders, let's put ourselves in their shoes for just a moment. They had an expectation of what the Messiah would be, what the Messiah would do, how the Messiah would bless them. I think for many of us, we have an expectation of how God will work in our lives, what he will be, what he will do, how he will bless us. I don't think we're far different from the religious leaders, but, but, for those who are sitting here today and going, hey, it's easy for me to believe in him. It's easy for me to put my trust in him. I will say this. It is easy for anyone to trust and believe when things are going great. But, but for many, when things start to fall apart, we go, I need a sign. I I need a little more, God, if I'm going to keep trusting. And, And it starts with that. It's a simple, simple digression. Hey, God, I just need a little bit more. I just need a little bit more. It's it's a selfish desire, but I need a little bit more. And and then we go on to say, God, God, I I have to have more. I want more. If you're going to make me live like this, then I'm not going to believe until you step up your game, God. And, And here's what I mean, live like this. The physical loss I'm suffering right now, 
So-and-so just passed away. I don't understand why. That's very difficult for me to reconcile. So God, I'm going to need a little bit more from you. There's a physical hurt. I'm in pain. If any of you listening today, if you're in physical pain, you know the, the toll that that takes on you. The depression that can set in from just hurting every day and you're going, hey God, I, I want to trust you and I want to believe in you, but I'm going to need something more. I'm going I'm to need you to address this, the financial burden. Hey God, I, I want to believe, I want to trust, but here's the reality. Every day, all I think about is the fact that there is not enough money in that account. The judgment. How can you love me, God? How can you love me when I've done so much? How can this truth really apply to me? Because I've got too much guilt. And because of that judgment and that guilt, I'm going to need you. I'm going to need you, God, to give me a sign. And then we go to the third and final phase of this. Hey, God... You owe me a sign. I'm not going to believe. I'm not going to trust. I'm not going to put my faith in you until you make it so evidently clear, until you meet me exactly, exactly in my needs, wants, and desires, until you show me that you're God, I'm not going to trust you. How, how, God, can you expect me to blindly believe that you're there, that you care, that you love when I'm hurting, when I'm broke, when I feel so guilty? How, God, can you ask me to do that? You owe me, you owe me to move. And and you can almost hear the religious leaders saying that to Jesus. You owe us a sign. We are the elite. We've given our lives to serving your father. That's what you say. So you better show us today who you are. And Jesus responds to them. The same way he responds to me and you. I'll give your sign. I'll give you the sign of Jonah. That's the sign you're going to get. Three days three nights in a tomb and then I'll walk out. That's your sign. That's what I'm going to give you. That's what I will provide. And the failure for you to repent and turn to me in light of that sign, it will mean your destruction. But the reason that Jesus goes through the story of Jonah and Queen of Sheba, the reason he goes through that is because he's saying, hey, there have been a lot of people before you that have repented for far less. They didn't need a resurrection. They just needed a guy to get kind of puked up on the shore by a whale, or they just needed to hear that there was wisdom 1,500 miles away. There have been people that have turned to me for far less. And now, church, you have the resurrection We're coming up on Easter season. We're in the middle of Lent right now as we prepare to worship our risen Savior. You have the resurrection. The resurrection validates all that Jesus said and all that he did. It is the center point of our faith. There is no other sign coming. The sign of Jonah is the one that he will give. It is a sign that is sufficient because it separates 
Jesus from all other religious leaders. You can go to all the other religious leaders' tombs. You can go to Jesus' tomb, but it's empty. You won't find him there because he conquered death. Because after three days and three nights, he rose from the dead. After 40 days, he ascended into heaven. He is there, seated at the right hand of God the Father. That is your sign. That is what we need. That is what sets us apart. If you want more, if you think you need more, or that God owes you more, his response will be the same today as it was to the religious leaders. Here's your sign. Here's your sign. Now, I'm not a huge fan of Bill Engvall, but as the comedian who made that phrase famous, people receive their signs when they do things that are foolish. I'm not calling anyone here foolish, but I'm saying this. If the resurrection is not enough for you, There's no more coming. You can beg, borrow. You can cry out to God, but he'll say, that's, that's the sign I'm going to give you. I loved you enough to send my son to this world to die for you, to conquer death so that you might have eternal life. That's your sign. If that's not enough, no more is coming. And so as we, as we close today, as we pray today, my hope is that the resurrection will be enough for me to believe, that the resurrection will be enough for you to believe, and that in faith, in faith, you will trust the resurrected Lord for today, for what you need today, your hurt, your finances, guilt. You'll trust him for today and you will trust him for your eternity, for your salvation. For he is Lord and he is God and he has given us graciously all we need to believe. I pray today that you will trust and believe in him. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you that that is all that we need. I pray today that you help us overcome our unbelief, that we would trust fully in you, and that we would no longer demand that you perform for us so that we might believe, but see what you've already done, how you've already loved, how you've already conquered and overcome, and that we put our faith in you. We pray this in the name of Jesus.